Hello everyone, and welcome to Trash Boat Ratio. It is the Ides of... Oh, uh, shit. I... Oh, no. May. It's May, but May. I was about to say August because it is the 8th of May, and being around Americans too much has ruined me. Lol. Uh, lol. What does that have to do with anything? It, well, the date for me reads 8 5 16. Uh huh. Which. In... Kyle's here, Destiny's here, Em's here. Hello. <laughs> I want to talk about Gone Girl. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I really don't. Good. That's good. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, films. That's a good one. Um, what, what have you seen recently? We're going into it. We're just uh, going straight in. Let's talk about what we haven't seen. I haven't seen Captain America Civil War. Fuck you. No. I remember, like, less than 45 <laughs> minutes ago when we were on a Skype call and I said the words, it's going to be great when we record this podcast and none of us have seen Civil War. Uh, or none You've of us seen bring it up. Civil War. Yeah, no, I've seen it, but I didn't want to talk about it. And now you force my hand like this. You well, forced my hand. Aren't you glad? You aren't you glad to. to have me back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep your mic on. It's fine. I don't know. I didn't really like it that much, but everyone else seems to enjoy it. It's an enjoyable movie that is incapable of actually having a coherent theme, or considering what it means. That's my take on Civil War. I'll say more when people have seen it. Uh, what I have actually seen is I went and saw the Jungle Book today. Who else here has seen the Jungle Book? I saw the Jungle Book. What did you think? I saw the Jungle Book too. I saw the Jungle Book too. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, the Jungle Book <laughs> was great. It was really like I don't know. I had this really weird emotional reaction to the trailer because even though I like I don't know, uh, the older I get, uh, it's really fun to introduce kids to the animated movie, and um, I don't know. I didn't realize I was so in love with it so seeing it all in live action being magically and beautifully reenacted like that with like animals that really look like talking animals and a cute kid playing Mowgli and all the lovely themes of family like oh boy yeah I loved it agreed I thought it was great Uh, I did not think it was possible for, in 2016, me to be like, wow, realistic-looking CGI, that's so impressive. Mm -hmm. But turns out, those animals, look at them. They look Look great. Oh, and then how happy did they make you? They made me so happy, like, how cute they were when they lay together. Ah! So cute. And then, like, what else? There were a lot of cute animals in that movie. What, Kyle? does not sound like my jam at all. You know, did you like the uh, old one? I think it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I I had a big attachment to it. I liked the reverence of the elephants. I liked the... um, Bill Murray did a good job with Baloo, which is a character that, like... I don't know. He's probably easy to screw up, don't you think? Probably. We were telling the kids Uh. yesterday. I performed for children for, for Comic Book Day. Uh, some musical comedy. We were telling them all about Tailspin and how that show doesn't make sense. <laughs> what's Tailspin? What What's Tailspin? Tailspin was an animated show that Disney made in the mid '90s. That was like uh, it had all the Jungle Book characters, but they were in like a Casablanca setting, like almost like the '40s. Baloo flew a plane. Sher Sher Khan wore a suit. 
Uh, there were other characters in it that weren't in the jungle. It was really weird. Like, I don't remember, like, I don't understand why it existed or how it existed, but it was a really good show. Um, well, you have to, you have to understand that, uh, furries have to come from somewhere and they come from Tales. <laughs> it was just like an, an adventure. I don't think Mowgli was in it. That was the thing that made it weird. It was. No, it was just animals. You can't have a child in the furry show. Okay, I'm looking it up. It aired for 22 episodes in 1990 to 1991, but I'm pretty sure it was in syndication. Who didn't? For like ever. Um, and what <laughs> they essentially did, they were just like, we'll just take Baloo and make him work at an air delivery service. <laughs> and good, good. That's essentially they replaced Mowgli with a bear named Kit, and apparently it was inspired by Cheers. What? What? <laughs> yeah, because there's a character weird. named Rebecca who's kind of like, uh, she's the Rebecca character from Cheers. Like she's a headstrong, inexperienced manager in charge of a fledgling business. And they decided to set it in a neutral zone inspired by Casablanca. And Louie played kind of the Rick. And uh, <laughs> uh, they were also inspired by Poco Rosso. Wow. It's it's actually, yeah. yeah, it's a lot like Poco Rosso. I never really, I think Matt and I might have talked, him and I might have talked about this actually when we watched Poco Rosso. But yeah, Tailspin has a lot of, um, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, no. Excuse me. Uh, the manga that Pocoroso is based on inspired Tailspin, but the film version came out two years later. Uh, okay. And they thought maybe, oh, was Miyazaki inspired? But anyway, like, it's just a, it's like a strange little show set in a place and <laughs> anthropomorphic animals and art deco. <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's tailspin chat. yeah but you know uh aside from that like uh uh jungle book has all the characters you love idris ilba uh does a really good job with bagheera he sounds like the bagheera in the movie well not actually he doesn't but like he he brought the same sort of character work to that and i don't know i was really in love with it like rarely do i like uh, look up uh, easter eggs about a movie after i watch it but i could not help myself i really was i just was so enamored with this film <laughs> the, the thing i really appreciated about it was uh, the way at which it commits to the jungle as this place with a specific culture the but mowgli's very presence um uh, brings into conflict mm-hmm. uh, like it never felt like it was backing away from the issues of oh, okay there's this man in the jungle and they've got these rules and like everyone has to follow these rules because that's what's happened in this place over time and i like it when a movie actually commits to world building and gives uh every single uh character within that like a relation to their world and a reason to care about it and i thought uh it was really good the way it did that are we allowed to spoil the ending um sure Does Kyle mind? i don't mind Okay, so in the cartoon, Mowgli leaves. He goes back to the man village. But in the uh, live-action film, directed by Jon Favreau, 2016, uh, he just lives with the wolves again. That's the same as the original <laughs> kind of a... stories, right? 
Yeah, and I didn't know that, but, like, I, I thought that was kind of... At first, I don't know, I'm kind of torn about it. Like, at first I didn't like it, because I was like, oh, but I liked that in the original it sort of highlighted that, you know, he wasn't an animal, and he and he should, you know, go live with people. But in the... In the... Uh, uh, live action, he, he, you know, he stays with them, and everything's so heightened... That it, it kind of worked. I don't know. And it's better than him being like, I see a girl. But my problem was like, they, they <laughs> kind of made the man village seem really just scary and unappealing. And there was almost like a racialized element. Because all you see is, it's always on fire. And there's always like dudes drinking and they all have turbans. And they like, just try yeah. to make it as unappealing as possible. And, and It's all fire and like shadows of men and turbans. Yeah. So I was kind of... Which is a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I was kind of like... Mm. But at the same time, I like how the film doesn't... It's not an unrealistic ending once, like, you kind of accept what else is going on in the movie. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. I like how uh, Mogi, like, accepts himself as who he is, but then makes his decisions about what he wants to do. Like, the original ending... Um, frame self-acceptance as following the path assigned to you. Whereas this says there is a difference between self-acceptance and doing what you are told by society. Uh, and the, you can do one without the other. So I quite like that. What about uh, who else has seen the movie? Let's go to Carl, because Carl hasn't um, much. I watched Beyonce's Lemonade. Yes. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we so, all did that. So good. Um, I was it's initially so ambivalent. or not, I mean indifferent about like watching it at all. but Because uh, I... I'm indifferent to Beyonce. I don't dislike her. I think she's a very interesting cultural icon, but I was never really interested in her music. Um, but then I saw everyone talking about it, and I caved, and I watched it on HBO Go, and it is just masterful. It's this really profound piece of emotional catharsis, and it is wild with its aspect ratio changes, and... Um, it's formerly one of the most beautiful and elegant and, and raw pieces of artistry I've ever seen. So that was really, really great. And it comes from such a singular perspective. I just loved it. So it, it's it's wonderful. I love it so much. I think I've watched it like five times now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's gorgeous. I loved it too. I, uh... Really thought like oh it'll just be like a you know like a, a, it's a video but it, you know it won't be uh, like people were just tweeting mm-hmm. about it and I remember feeling like I was moved by formation mm-hmm. so I was like nah it's not gonna be the same it's gonna be more you know it's just gonna be yeah. fun but like angry because I knew about the Jay Z mm-hmm. stuff no way it was it was totally like it went above and beyond my expectations. Yeah, this was overwhelming in its complexities and its emotional complexities. And like, obviously um, much of it is about kind of reclaiming black womanhood and black female identity. But I was actually really interested in the way that it examined black masculinity in a lot of sequences. Um, like in daddy lessons, there are all these different shots and different sequences of, of, men kind of in homosocial environments and I thought that was really interesting to watch them perform black masculinity within the context of a very specific perspective of of black life in general. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I thought it was interesting how she put her own dad in that sequence and just kind of showed him, like, playing with her kid. Like, there's a lot of, like, stuff she says about her dad beforehand where you think, oh, well, maybe things aren't going well between them. But then when you see... There's just a lot of forgiveness mm -hmm. there. And there's a lot of, like, historical and present representation of, like, pains that black women have gone through sort of like at the hands of just multiple uh areas and like black men being no exception so i, I liked the threat of forgiveness especially in, in that sequence and the sort of celebration of uh black fatherhood and just sort of uh well you, you said it best but yeah no i also liked the different types of femininity represented mm -hmm. and uh i don't know just the it, it's kind of i read this somewhere i don't i don't know i can't claim to say it's original but like just how she's finally like sort of she feels like the kind of person who she's matured into someone who's like not afraid to be herself now mm -hmm. and that sense of self is so like it's just nice to have that in a in someone so famous in their art. Yeah, yeah. Because there's usually that that barrier, that facade. But now, now it feels like and there's was, there's a sense of authentic vulnerability. I guess. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Do you have a favorite sequence? Um. Oh goodness, I really liked. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool as hell, having Serena Williams dancing and then the bus mm. and just her with the Nefertiti sort of hairstyle. And um, I don't know. There's so many good ones. There's another one where I don't know which song it's right before, but where she's like underwater. It's yeah, the it's beginning. Hold Up. Yeah. 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 That's really great. And the great. use of Westerners poetry is just amazing. Yeah, I wouldn't bought that poem off of Bandcamp. Like after I watched Lemonade on HBO, I was like, "Well, <laughs> that's gonna be my reading material or my listening material." Uh, yeah, really gorgeous. I think my favorite sequences are um, "Freedom" because that film is. I mean, that I mean that song is kind of a banger. I mean, it is it's oh, yeah. very much about. Um, slavery in both the micro and macro context, but the way that it's con constructed and composed is very much banger-esque, I guess. I don't know anything about music, but um, that sequence is edited in a really interesting way where it re really revels in longer takes that last seconds and even a couple minutes long, and it's not um, inclined to jump cut or to make rapid um, cuts from from scene to scene, which I appreciated, um, and uh, don't hurt yourself, which I love. Just like so angry. Uh, that song is yeah. fabulous. All the white gays came after me when I wrote my piece about it. I haven't read it. I'm sorry. What did it um, say? My piece was about the inevitable white gay appropriation of Beyonce's Lemonade. It was like, okay. I retweeted your tweet about writing about it, but I didn't know you actually wrote something. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. Um, 
And then lo and behold, like four days later, I saw Ira Madison, who writes for MTV News, say that he saw a white gay friend of his tweet a shirtless picture of himself uh, mountain climbing with lyrics from Freedom. It's like, what did I say was going to happen? So oh, just... there was a... Yeah, I saw a lot of that, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Come on. Not surprising, though. Not surprising. Shake my head. No. Uh, but, you know, this album is not subtle about what it's about. I've been, like, shocked at the... Uh, um, prevalence of like takes taking away from it like oh this is like just an angry breakup album no like one they're not broken up two there's like way more going on Mm. than anger like way like i like i said like i i thought it was just gonna be angry but like no it's there's so much there's sadness Mm. there's forgiveness there's like a sense of the future yeah yes like healing uh just oh there's so much it's really incredible. And that's because it comes from such a per- specific perspective and point of view. Like, that's why I was worried that it was going to happen, that there, that these things would be taken out of context in a way that really divorces the work from its meaning, like from its intention. What, what makes me sad is like the weird focus on Becky and her identity like one she just kind of it's it's more of a throwaway line than anything because it's just sort of like you know like you're what's the line right before it he only wants me when I'm not there he better call Becky with the good hair it's like all she's saying is like I'm here for you but you're you know with someone else and then when you do want me like I'm out you know working and or doing whatever just doing stuff that isn't involved with this other mm-hmm. person and uh i felt like that huge focus on that on on becky as a, as a like a, a slang term and a name and just the phrase good hair instead of like putting it in context there was just a lot of like well, who is she or weird white girls defending themselves or calling becky a slur and it's like well, uh, yeah. this is not what this is about can we look at the whole song here like like i on some level i get it if you're you know casually engaged in pop culture stuff but it's still really gross to me uh taking it and like a obviously very specific and crafted and thoughtful work and mining it for what is the drama here yeah like i mean there's obvious drama just because she's married she's famous she's married to someone equally famous and like you can't help but think of that when you're watching mm-hmm. it but at the same time like clearly you know she had to, he had to have heard the music before she put it out he took place he he, he um participates in the uh visual album for sandcastles i think so nope. yes yes which is to me the weakest song on the album but the sequence the sequence uh is is really mm-hmm. touching um that's the one where they're kind of like cuddling up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Just this weird focus on like, well, we gotta, you know, somebody cheated, and we gotta find this woman, and also, how dare she even, you know, comment on white hair when the whole album is like a sort of celebration of the things that make black women black women, 
uh, just kind of, it was a little sad, really, to see the media do that. Not unexpected, just Not sad. Unexpected. It's actually, it was mm-hmm. a little weird for me watching that happen because I'm so disengaged with certain aspects of pop culture. Like, I didn't realize that this was a thing, that there was that tension or drama behind the scenes. And so I didn't really care about that that element beyond its yeah. context within the art itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, so you didn't even know, like, oh, like, he was, maybe there was some stuff in their marriage, and, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, what do Em and Jackson have to say? Don't mean to hog the combo. Oh, I, I love that you've pretty much said uh, everything that I was what thinking. What was your favorite I sequence? Wanna... I don't know. Uh, my favorite sequence would uh, either be Don't Hurt Yourself yeah. or uh, Daddy Lessons, mm. just because I, just because those were... Prime bangers, as is the technical. Daddy <laughs> lessons as a banger. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a knee a, slapper. It's, it's like a you know kind of country. I do love that song. Down. That's I love that song. It keeps playing in my school cafeteria, and I'm the only one who like claps along, and then people look at me weird. But you know, I'm gonna go ahead and say Daddy lessons is a banger. I think I think we can accept this. <laughs> I'm fairly sure. I know it's more obvious in terms of Don't Hurt Yourself. It's louder, it's got the drums, and there's me being like, fuck yes, listen to these drums. I get very, I'm a drummer, so I get very excited when someone does something cool with drums that isn't either, I am a drummer. Um, So I get very excited when someone does something with uh, drums that isn't just like crazy, I can hit all these drums, Uh but it's still pop-focused and really interesting. Interesting, but pop sensitive. Eh, but pop sensitive drum beats never happen. And then in this, it was the best. I was so happy. I was so happy. But that's my one little nerd out. But yeah, uh, I loved it. I feel like everyone's said the stuff that needs to be said. I don't really want to speak over anyone because I'm a white dude, who, you know. And um, yeah, so I, I loved it. I don't know. Uh, I know Em loved it as well. Yeah, but Destiny said everything that I had to say because we watched it together. Yeah. Well, what yeah. was your favorite sequence? Uh, probably still the formation video, not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> Sorry's really good, though. Like, Sorry might be number two. Yeah. Sorry's great. Um, I watched it on HBO. They didn't air it with formation at the end. I mean, they played it during the credits, but, or at least the version I watched, because I just yeah. taped it off of... Yeah, but when you buy it, it plays formation at the end. And when it's untitled, when you see it untitled, formation is at the end. I, I noticed that uh, okay. like, the third time I watched yeah. it. Yeah. I... I assume HBO had like cut off at the title card and had an hour slot because it's like an hour five. Mm-hmm. The, the but yeah, no formations yeah. like oh my god. Yeah. yeah, that formation video. How do you feel about formation fitting within the context of Lemonade as a whole, as a as a film, as a short film? I like it because it it's it goes back to that celebratory, especially coming off of Freedom. And okay, it's like okay, we got through the marital drama. I've sort of accepted myself, my sexuality. I've got sort of this, um, you know, I've got my present right, but I like how future-facing it is because it's like, it's about blackness, almost like, oh, this is really cheesy, but like black sisterhood. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's sort of like, it goes into that, at least for me. Uh, and just her being like, like the lyrics are so much about just celebrating things that are not traditionally celebrated as beautiful in our society. Like, she likes her Negro nose. She likes her baby air with baby hair and afro. Like, you don't hear that. Like, I I, I was telling someone before, like, 
that's not something you've heard. Like, it was on the same level as uh, James Brown's I'm Black and I'm Proud or, like, Nina Simone's Young, Gifted, and Black. Like, you don't get a lot of outward celebrations of literal black features uh, from a mainstream artist in 2016. Like, at least of that magnitude. I mean, I know they exist, but, like, Beyonce went from that person who was, like, she was kind of the, like, safe person for white people to like like can mm-hmm. we all agree I mean, i'm sure i'm yeah, not yeah. this isn't an original yeah so like for her to completely turn on that and do something that isn't for white people and i mean like lemonade as a whole is that but formation is like the like culmination it's it's the it's the oh what's the word i want like the epoch it's it's the big fuck you to mm-hmm. that idea of herself as like I'm the safe R&B singer. Mm-hmm. But it's also not... I wouldn't say it's inherently dangerous either. I just think it's... It's it's just not for the mainstream. Yeah. Um, I, as a not black person, um, tried to assert that when writing that gay white gay appropriation piece, and, like, people got very mad at me because I was, like maybe this isn't necessarily for everyone and that's okay that is okay i think we have a culture where yeah everything wants to be for everyone but like i guess if something's not for you it doesn't it, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy you. it exactly and it's not saying it's not an anti-white song right, by right. any means or video uh it's not an anti like how, how all these people were like well it's boycott she obviously hates cops blah blah blah, blah, blah. and it's like never did she oh. ever imply any of those things it was just other people reading into it and making it about themselves and being defensive than it actually was about them engaging with the thing mm-hmm. there was this amazing saturday night live sketch it was literally white people just freaking out because they were like this beyonce thing isn't for us and it was uh, white people reacting to formation like a doomsday scenario and i think that is the most like apt way <laughs> to kind of view it <laughs> that snl sketch was really yeah, good yeah it's one of the better like i haven't watched new snl in a while because i'm never home on saturdays and i i watched that one because people kept suggesting it to me and i was so proud of them for whoever wrote that i was proud of them for like getting that across really well <laughs> mm-hmm uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's a good long talk on uh, lemonade. I think we all said some good things. Um, quickly before wrapping up, um, have M or Destiny seen anything they want to talk about before we go into possession? <laughs> we watched a movie last uh, night. La- la- I was going to say we watched World of Tomorrow, yes. which uh, you talked about on the last episode, and that is a delightful, uh, ridiculous thing that I appreciated a lot as someone who has a kind of uh terrifyingly nihilistic view of the future uh that thing is uh that thing's a good time it's very funny it's really funny for something that's also like i mean it's kind of a dumb thing to say i don't know why i keep qualifying my statements you know what? i'll just own it uh it was so it was also really sad and really uh true and honest in a way that was kind of disarming but the like the child having like Emily Prime, I guess her name was, like all of her statements just totally broke up the moments of sheer terror that are contained within the uh dialogue. 
And yeah, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it thoroughly. It was so much fun. It's cool. Really, really beautiful. Uh, so what is this final movie? I know what the final movie is. You should give us the full title. Oh, that's for Destiny, I guess. Oh! I- I'll give you the full title. The movie we watched last night was called Delinquent Girl Bloss- uh, Boss Blossoming Night Dreams. Okay, so... Which is a Japanese film. Oh, yes, a pink film. Uh, I you know what that is not a pink. You don't film. think like, so? No, nah, it's just it's just like a no, it's just a seventies exploitation girl gang movie. Like I've got some pink films on my hard drive. Let me tell you, they have way more boobs and sex in them than that movie did. No, you're right. <laughs> it. Um, I really like Delinquent Girl Boss. Oh my gosh! Like I guess it's a whole series. Can I just say that is the most on brand sentence you've ever said? <laughs> well, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> it's. It's really, um, it's a weird movie. Like, oh, I guess that goes without saying. Oh, yeah. But, like, <laughs> it, <laughs> I don't know how to talk about it. Okay, so are you familiar with pink films? Yes. yes. Okay, yeah, they're just Japanese movies about wonderful things, uh, such as violence and sex. So, yeah, there's, it's about this girl that gets out of reform school and she has a hard time finding a job and she starts working at a nightclub that has like sort of well these yakuza are trying to control it and the woman who runs it but like the woman who runs it like they killed her father and there's like all this stuff between them but anyway it what i like about movies like this in most exploitation films is that the way that they highlight problems that like actual women have in real life but they like try to sensationalize it in this over the top gross way uh but like i can't think i bet there uh, i mean i don't know japanese cinema especially 1970s japanese cinema but i'm sure there wasn't a lot in mainstream japanese cinema about like rape and drugs women on drugs and sex work and it doesn't have the most progressive view on sex work but like it at least addresses like why someone would go there like go into that kind of work and just sort of like what women who are business owners experience and women who have had like not so traditional life paths so like i appreciate it on that level but on the other level I appreciate it on is that it's just a bunch of girls just fighting each other and being tough and mean and telling off gross men and fighting dudes with swords. <laughs> and um, it just makes me really happy. I don't know, this one, this <laughs> one was a lot of fun. And um, it's got the weirdest ending where everyone essentially after the big showdown where they confront the yakuza everyone's just on a bus going to prison together and they're all just laughing about it and i just i love (laughs) that a movie that comes from a society that's like really about conforming and you know just sort of following the heteronormative life path like the movie begins with the girls school being the reform school which is like essentially a prison like a What's it? a juvenile delinquent facility for girls? They're being taught how to like do hair and makeup like a bride, so someday they can be brides. And it ends with them all going to pr- back to prison. So like, <laughs> I love that it kind of weirdly celebrates 
that life path, even if it looks down on it at the same time. Because it's a movie, so it can't, like, condone anything any of the characters are doing. But it can in these little subversive ways. And I and I loved that. I don't know. And that's why I love exploitation film as a whole, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, that sounds fun. There are three entire Inca ballads played in full in the course of that movie in 90 minutes, so it's a pretty good time. Sold. Sold. <laughs> sold. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wish I am. I'm gonna start writing all movies that way. <laughs> How many Inca ballads? Tokyo Drifter has like seven, but it's the same song each time. So you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, good. The ballads are actually pretty good. The lyrics are all about regret. Uh, it, it's uh, I'm such a fan of these. Apparently, the girl bo- boss like title is one that a few of these movies have and. Blossoming Night Dreams is like the this is the the nightclub one, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> nice. Well, that's cool. I'm glad that movie is cool because it sounded amazing from the descriptions I had. It made me really happy. So, we're all gathered here today to talk about movies, and the movie, uh, the movie of this month, uh, has been chosen by Destiny. So, why don't you introduce it and tell us? Well, what we're going to be talking about for this month's movie club. Okay. This month, I decided to expose you to one of my favorite films. <laughs> Zulowski's uh, <laughs> 1981 French-German horror genre drama. No, it's a genre bender. Uh, Possession, also known as The Night That Wouldn't End. I'm pretty sure that's the ultimate <laughs> title. That's a good name. Yeah. Uh, this movie is unclassifiable it goes everywhere and i I picked it because well one it's a movie that not a lot of people have seen especially on my end like it's really hard to get the movie in the united states and um it's really easy to get in the uk i know i was very jealous when like i was telling you oh it might be hard to get and you were like oh i bought it at five pounds no no big deal (laughs) but yeah no it's it's um a, a story of a marriage falling apart, if we want to keep it real simple, and the uh, mental instability that ensues because of this marriage falling apart. Uh, sorry, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to correct you because I've just typed in possession into the chat. I was checking whether it was region free or not, uh, and the alternate title came up, which is actually The Night the Screaming Stops. Oh, thank you. I couldn't remember the actual name. Okay. Fuck. That's so good. The streaming stops is a really good title. That's, That's really delightful. good. Uh, so who's who wants to go first with uh, what they what they thought of it? Um, I will uh, ask Kyle. Um, as Kyle went last last time. The uh, the part of this movie that is really for me is like this very sadomasochistic love story about people being horrible to one another. Because they're in love, but also hate each other. And that's just my personal life, essentially. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed the body horror aspect of that. And the very visceral qualities of the way that love and infatuation and jealousy um, manifest in like really terrible, scary ways. And I've, I don't know why, but I've always been sort of interested in the way that certain directors and writers will will um depict that 
and Isabella and Johnny is amazing. Actually, my friend Teo had been is like an Isabella and Johnny stan, um, and <laughs> she describes herself as such. I it was a new word for me. Um, That's pretty cute. She's she actually kind of looks like uh, Johnny, um, but yeah. She had been begging me to watch this for the better part of a year and a half, and I just kept putting it off because I was like worried it was going to be too heavy. But um, she just gives nope. like this monstrous, <laughs> monstrously wonderful performance, especially like, of course, that that iconic scene of her in the subway is gross, but also so visceral and and powerful. Um, I'm I'm losing my words, but there's. She she has a very magnetic quality in anything that yeah. she is doing, and I th- find that really interesting. And I really love how her her um, like doppelganger character Helen, I think that's her Helen. Name. Helen totally yes. calls out Sam Neill for being like this wallowy white dude. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, when I first saw the movie, I was always sort of confused by. Isabel Johnny's character like I never understood her motivations I never understood like just anything like I, I you know like her actions just did not make sense to me uh and then, and then she has this very surreal uh at 11 performance where she's just constantly screaming and saying like nonsense things and but like th- for some reason this time around I just I don't know I really felt for her I realized you know she's this woman her husband's in this weird cryptic military job, he was gone forever, and somehow she meets this tentacle creature, <laughs> and you know starts sleeping with him, and you know like you kind of understand her when you, like you think about all the crap she had to put up with, and all the fear and loneliness, and when she miscarries the creature, like the creature's spawn. Like you really, you really do feel for her, but mm. and yet this movie's like so over the top that like it's almost kind of like I don't know. I consider it a horror film because oh. I think a lot of it's really unnerving. But I know when I watched it with M, M was laughing a lot. Yeah, <laughs> for me, uh, I saw it and I so I'd heard the sort of really good horror movie. Um, <laughs> uh, Mark Commode, who is a British film critic, as a had sold it as a like one of their favorite films um, and linked it to like video nasties at the time because uh, it was like cut a bunch uh, in the eighties in the UK. So that's the context I had going in. Then when I watch it, I was just <clears throat> laughing nonstop as the first half, like half hour hour of this movie is just Sam Neill getting owned by every single human being that lives in Germany <laughs> uh, in, in sequence, and uh, he comes home and. and uh, um, and I was like, I want a divorce. And he goes, like, oh, I'm, I'm sleeping with someone else. And then he just fucks up a restaurant and then meets Heinrich, who is <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> just, like, can only speak through intense bragging in the most mm-hmm. chill way. In the, just, I'm a strange German man who seems like a cartoon all the time. He's perfect. Oh, no, I loved it. It was a ludicrous, ludicrous movie. Just uh, the... Um, this like marriage that is falling apart, but also not like I don't. I don't think falling apart is the right time because it's like always on fire all the time. It doesn't get worse. <laughs> it's just bad. Like it's it just starts at hell and continues at hell throughout. Uh, and there are moments where it gets genuinely tense or uncomfortable. Um, 
weirdly that i think my biggest example of this would be um the scene where the private investigator looks around uh, uh, Anna's apartment for Mm. the first time because it's one of the few really understated scenes when you're like waiting for the 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 scare to happen Uh, because you're like he's gonna die but he's gonna go around open up all these curtains I guess (laughs) Uh, and but then when like every kind of big payoff is just someone screaming like 90% of this movie is screamed at the top of someone's lungs it's it doesn't care about how ridiculous it is or at least it commits to being ridiculous all the time there's no uh kind of filter on how ridiculous it's going to be Uh, and i love that that also carries over to the the filmmaking and the cinematography the camera is always fucking moving for no reason just like i'm gonna spin around this room like four times why the fuck not then i'm gonna go over here then i'm gonna do this let's just have fun uh so i i was uh, in in rap throughout, I, it was a fantastic. I time. believe it is this kind of film which is so uncomfortable, and crazy, and and wild in its approach to the dissolution of love. Um, I believe that these are the most romantic kinds of films. Unironically, <laughs> like I would watch this mean? on a date with someone. Like I love movies that are just like so upfront with how uncomfortable reconciliation of like feelings are. Even if like the okay. are not necessarily good, I think there's something very honest about that, and I think that is very romantic. Like I think uh, the film that shall not be named is very romantic. I think the lobster is very romantic. I think just those very ah. atypical approaches to how we deal with um, interpersonal relationships are, are v- fresh in a way that I don't think we I often experience. Cool. I want to see uh, the lobster scene. Uh, yeah, I, I I can get that because I mean the movie does end with them like dying together in each other's arms as they like doppelgangers of each of them reunite and bring about the uh, implied end of the world. It's phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> just, oh, we're getting back together. My our kid's gonna kill himself in this bath <laughs> as the world ends, Ugh. but doesn't. I don't know. We've given up on having a reality of this movie and just gone to full uh opera by the end em has an interesting it's... theory on the ending and the overall sort of premise uh yeah and you haven't spoken about this movie yet so what did what did you think what's your so theory? while i'm mostly with you jackson in that it is kind of a ludicrous overarched thing i would like to point out particularly the argument in which he chases her out into the street and as they're arguing like a car falls off of like <laughs> one of those transport trucks just like in the street next to them as yes. like the most overblown like put these feelings literally on the screen as collateral damage um i like that stuff a lot but the thing that i was actually drawn to is kind of the thing that the movie paves over which is its actual plot um which to me is like breaks down as like he comes home and he's like oh i gotta deal with my family and then his weird spy master uh like secret society guys sitting at that table are like oh we could take care of the family and then this whole thing dissolves and to me like the actual plot of this movie which kind of gets lost in the shuffle is the this the spy and his wife are slowly replaced by their doppelgangers, which seem to be like at least aligned with the forces of like these spy master guys in order to get a hold of their son, who throughout the entire movie seems to increasingly display like like 
uh, like psychic ability or like a precognitive ability because he's like he has dreams about the stuff that's happening to his mother and he has like a sense of there being evil at the door and like there's just enough hints around him being like weird that becomes like kind of this story of like the long tail end of the Cold War where you're in basically like a like uh, like a totally devastated, depopulated uh, vision of Berlin in which there's just streets where nothing is happening. And these people are living out these overdramatic lives kind of against the backdrop of emptiness and uh, desolation and this sense of like the other encroaching and like, uh, like adopting their child for how special he is. And I think that stuff's really interesting. Not really the main thrust of the film, obviously, but the thing I was thinking about in the week since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. That's cool, Reed. Uh, I yeah, like I liked that, that a lot, lot too. Because I just, I never really thought about their son as anything but this sort of like victim who's almost there to just kind of show like how self involved these two people are. Like, you have a kid together. They don't seem to be very good. Pre- like, there's that scene at the very beginning where she just disappears. Like, he's like, I want custody of Bob. Which, who names a kid Bob? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that. Like, who the fuck gonna name that kid Bob? It really bothered me too. But yeah, like, oh, uh, he he goes in and Bob is just like covered in jelly and the house is a mess. And so I just kind of was like, oh, this movie should be retitled. Poor Bob. Uh, But yeah, no, like he's clearly got something going on where he, yeah, he's either a psychic or yeah, there's just something there that they, they barely get at as the film continues. It was really interesting. Uh, Outside of those two things, the, the two things I want to point out is, one, uh, Heinrich, who is, like, the guy who was sleeping with the wife uh, before she shocked up with the horrible monster, is basically the coolest character in all of cinema. He is a <laughs> ludicrous true. cartoon German hippie man, yeah. and it's amazing. Also, uh, with a ludicrous cartoon German hippie mother. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes, Heinrich's mother. But, like... When Sam Neill, like, stands up to him, he literally bounces off of the walls on his way out. Like, he's just, like, cascading off of the corridor in the apartment building, and it's the most amazing thing. Um, also, this movie reminded me a lot of Twin Peaks, and I don't know yeah. if I'm the only one there, but so much about, like, the taking the mundane and adding enough weirdness to make it like unsettling and horrifying seems exactly the kind of stuff that Lynch does in all of his films. But I thought specifically about some of the weirder stuff in Twin Peaks when I thought of this movie. Right on. Uh, yeah. Uh, a thing that was similar to uh, that for me, which isn't actually along those lines, but it's just a th- uh, something I wanted to note is that as a kid who was born in 1993, there's something really strange about 80s movies that look like 80s movies but i am watching them in high definition it is very cool <laughs> aesthetic because uh I'm, like that is an era where vhs you know lines and watching on a television was the aesthetic of 80s movies movies that were slightly earlier i didn't see that many of them and so i'm like used so i buy a blu-ray of them like that's yeah that's totally what they are but because i was born in 93 like that is what i think of when i think of movies from that era so seeing one like this that looked like that and it looked like it could have just been uh something i watched on tv in the early 90s that was from an old like a slightly old movie but seeing it in full hd was i added to the weirdness of it it made it feel both specifically within a time and also out of time uh together uh that's what that reminded me of even though it's actually nothing to do with it <laughs> what you said but that was a point that came up in my cool. head 
Uh, what else? Any any more? Thought? Do we have any more takes to discuss? Um, no more takes specifically, but I was wondering if anyone saw that music video with Rosamund Pike. Uh, I mean, mm. no. Um, it's Massive Attack, Young Fathers, Voodoo in My Blood. I don't think so. Nope. It's very, very cool, and it very much pays homage to uh, Isabel and Johnny in the subway. But yeah, I'll have to look it up. I was reminded of Trouble Every Day, and just sort of how, like, yeah, how body horror can be one of those things that you can really use as, like, a big old metaphor for. Uh, human relationships, romantic relationships, and uh, I thought I don't know. I love the way this movie handles it. I have no idea what like director intent stuff was. Like that's a director I never don't really know much about. I know he recently passed away. Uh, it's you know, uh, I don't know what else has he done. Like has he done anything? I know he did what Dangerous Liaisons, the nineties, or did he do that? Zelowski. Yeah. No. Um. Stephen Frears did the Dangerous Liaisons. Of the... Oh, what am I thinking of? Zelowski. I don't is, know what he's. Zelowski is like relatively well known in like the really esoteric film circles. He's yeah, he's like an art guy. Sci-fi stuff like um on the Silver Globe, I think. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of stuff, but I am personally not terribly familiar with his filmography. And same here. Uh, I don't even remember how I heard about this movie. It's something I've just been kind of aware of for a really long time. Uh, but, yeah, I just... I don't know how seriously the movie's meant to be taken. And, yeah, uh, being someone who was born... Uh, I wasn't aware of the way Berlin was before the wall fell. So, like, seeing a movie yeah. set in just sort of this, like creepy west german uh hellscape was it's kind of eye-opening as to like how just icky things were Mm -hmm. Uh, i the one thing i know about this was it was uh like written and i think made in the midst of uh his divorce (laughs) yeah which you can yep of course it was was (laughs) um the Cronenberg. Oh, nice. yep. Not surprising. That movie is very much like a divorce uh, kiss-off story. And, and so was uh, uh, and, uh, Antichrist, apparently. Oh, yep. Not surprised. We love us a good divorce also narrative nice. here at the uh, trash spec ratio. <laughs> apparently. Um, and uh, I also loved the... Um, big build up to the the money shot the big horror money shot which is massive fucking tentacle monster literally yes <laughs> uh, just walking in and seeing your wife getting just like uh having sex with nailed. getting nailed just, just getting the nailed. most getting pure nailed <laughs> like there's no better way to, you don't have to be eloquent she's getting nailed boning down on an animatronic <laughs> a slimy one at that <laughs> slimy one get that slime mm-hmm. gross this is too gross and they're just staring at you and going almost almost that's almost. so horrifying like <laughs> ugh. I... 
it's a ridiculous shot it's a fantastic um Makes me happy moment i was i love that creature so much and i'm gl- like because i originally saw it and thought oh, is that a dead dog in the background is that what he's seen and then you see the like person who's just got half of the body and the legs are across the room you're like is she chopping him up is what she doing <laughs> and then there's the weird one which has the cat eyes or the weird eyes that also just looks like they've painted a paper bag red on someone's head <laughs> <laughs> and then it's full uh animatronic fucking time yeah, really <laughs> and then even though none of these like those original monster designs were all building and then suddenly it's sam neil <laughs> <laughs> Just sam neil monster like, oh, the evolution chart of oh yeah then that leads to that which leads to that which leads to big tentacle fuck monster and and, and then sam neil <laughs> like obviously at the top of that chain yeah it's pretty wonderful bulletproof sam neil <laughs> yeah pretty ridiculous i'm glad that you all seem to enjoy it because like i said it's one of my favorites i'm uh a huge fan of it i think it's just too weird to be bad which is you know as we all know my favorite genre of movie um (laughs) and i don't know i just i just don't know i like a movie that leaves me a bit baffled (laughs) Don't open. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyone else have any final thoughts on Possession? Yep. For a movie with... Uh, maybe Don't Get Married. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, like, well. I mean, I know we all said, uh, you know, Gone Girl, not an honest represent- representation of marriage or, you know, uh, re- relations between men and women. Possession... Not so much either, but it definitely puts the fear of God in you regardless. <laughs> yeah. It uh both very straight people movies. <laughs> but this one in a way that was uh, far more entertaining to me <laughs> as it just uh put everything out there on the screen, just put its tentacle monster on the screen. Put its four minute long self miscarriage <laughs> scene on the screen. <laughs> oh, so gross. It was so gross. I was so grossed yeah, out. It's, uh, it's, it's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Well, okay. We did it. We we have done another movie club for another month. Thank you very much. Uh, so I turn to Kyle and ask, what is our next month's pick going to be? Well, June is, at least in the United States, LGBTQ Pride Month, so... I will pick a queer film, and one that I haven't seen, but I've been meaning to see for a very long time. Ryan Avena Fassbinder's The Bitter Tears of Petra Van Kant. Or as I like to call Ooh. it, The Bitter Tears of Petra I Can't Even. <laughs> Come on! Alternate title. Um, blocking you. I, uh, no, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. Okay. Fine. Very excited. I've never yeah. seen it. It's been on my list for a while. Very, very excited. As my, I, I like Fast Pinter. I, I haven't watched that much, but I watched uh, um, The Marriage of Maria Brown in my German cinema class, and I loved it. It was amazing. Yeah, I've only seen a couple of things. I saw World on a Wire, and, you know, what else have I seen? This will be my first Fast Pinter movie. Yeah, my only one. Yeah, no, this is exciting. Cool. 
well. Uh, where can we find you, Destiny? I am at FridgeBuzzNo on Twitter. That is all one word. Uh, if you go on the iTunes, you can see that I have a podcast called Badland Girls with Rhea Dahar. We're also at BadlandGirls.com. And uh, sometimes Jackson and I record a little podcast called Goof Zone at Goof.Zone. Uh, Kyle. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tyle Kerner, T-Y-L-E-K-U-R-N-E-R, and I write around on the internet, mostly about film, at, and you can find my, uh, writing portfolio and stuff at tilekerner.tumblr.com. Cool. M. Uh, you can find me at E-M underscore Bing on Twitter, and, uh, you can find me, Jackson Destiny, on Abnormal Mapping, abnormalmapping.com. Uh, Yeah. That's that's the things. Cool. Yeah, uh, I am at Headfuls Off on Twitter, headfulsoff.com, and all the other places that I've already been mentioned. Have a good month. We'll be back with more movies next time. Goodbye, goodbye. 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 <laughs> goodbye. I'm Jackson. Oi, goodbye. <laughs>